Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we're talking about underrated neo-noir movies. So I am joined by our resident noir expert. Welcome back to the show, Rosalie Lewis. Hi, Rosalie. Hi, Patrick. How are you? I am just beyond excited to talk about noir, yeah. something that I've never talked about before. No, no, no. This will be a first for you, yeah. so that's exciting. Um, one of the ideas that we had, we were trying to think of what to do for the show. And we had just, I'm sorry to bring this up so early in the show, I promise not to do it all the time, <laughs> but one of the, we recently started a Patreon, patreon.com slash this movie. And one of the things that we're doing on there is like a top five series. So when we release new Patreon shows, it's going to be like top five different things decided upon by the co-hosts. And so we thought, well, what if we do like a top five show as sort of a a sample or an advertisement for the Patreon. So you get a sense of what you'd be getting over there on the main feed this week. So uh, we went with top five neo-noir. Yes. Underrated neo-noir. Underrated, yes. And it's good that you gave me at least some parameters because my list would be like a hundred movies long. <laughs> so. What were the parameters? Well, the parameters were just that it's underrated okay. right? or underseen. Right. So I tried to go with some that... Either I haven't heard a lot of people talking about, or just I was surprised when I discovered them, or you know things like that. Um, but yeah, I will talk more about that. I'm sure when we get to our actual list. But yes. I was going to have like Erica level ties, and then some. So. <laughs> I went with just five, but yeah. I welcome any and all ties. I'm a new man. I'm a changed man. All right. Um, first, before we start talking about that, have you seen anything good lately? I sure have. So I'm going to start out with the movie I saw last night that you hosted. What? And that was They Live. Yeah, baby. Is, uh, the very first in a brand new series at the El Grove Theater. Yeah. So I hadn't seen it on the big screen before. I understand you hadn't either. I hadn't either. That was why I picked it. Yeah. So <laughs> that was really fun to see, especially, you know, with an audience. I yeah. think the fact that it was like a Saturday night, it was kind of late. But there were people there with, like, you know, somewhat younger children. Yeah, for Not, sure. like, little, little kids. But, right. like, there were some kids there. There were some teenagers there. And it was a really enthusiastic crowd. And it looked amazing. It did, didn't it? It yeah. was a really nice uh, DCP, I guess. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have capabilities to scream on... Th scream. <laughs> we can scream all we want. Screen on 35 millimeter, but... Uh... It'd yes. probably be harder to track down a print, too. Yeah, and it was really fun because there were also trailers featured before it. I yeah. was actually talking to Steve, who was sitting next to me, and we were wondering if there would be trailers or not. And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, when we go to Patrick's house, like, he always has trailers playing, <laughs> but I don't know if they could pull that off here. And then there were. Sure enough. It was very cool. Yeah, we had trailers for the movies that are coming up, and then uh, a trailer for Child's Play, too, which I just showed to Rosie last week. And How'd it's her new go? favorite movie. Aww. Well, she just kind of picks, you know, whatever well, you she know. saw most recently, but she gets very excited when she sees a rated R movie. She's sure. very proud of herself for sticking through it. So she's dressing up as Chucky for Halloween, and Child's Play is her new favorite movie. That is adorable. Yeah. So was she, like, scared of it at all? Because I know, okay, so going back to your E.T. conversation with J.B., right? Yeah. She was not as emotionally moved by that. Yeah, no. So she was not as scared by this as maybe some people She didn't are. seem to be. I mean, she had a lot of questions about, like, is that person going to die? Mm -hmm. Is there blood? Okay. And I would keep reassuring her, because Child's Play is pretty tame. It is. 
So I kept reassuring her, like, no, no, they're, well, yes, they're going to die, but there's no blood, you know, and not that many people die in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so she handled it pretty well. That's good. Yeah. Very good. Well, go Rosie. And I need to see Child's Play 2. I've never seen it. So, um, Have you seen the rest of the sequels? I've, no, I've just seen the very first okay. one. Okay. And I watched that not very long ago, actually. I like so, all of them except for three. I'm, I'm not excited a big three to get guy. to the Jennifer Tilly ones. Those are good. Because I love her. Yeah. She's most people should. Having the most fun in those movies. Yeah. Um, and her voice is kind of perfect for a doll. Right. It was super nice of you to come to Smash Cut Cinema yeah. last night. Thank I'm you. excited for the next one. We got Zombie coming up on October 15th. 15th. Yeah. 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 That'll be good. I'm yeah. excited. First I've time never seeing, seen it. You've never seen it at all? At all. Okay. I've never seen it on the big screen, so... I wanted to program a Fulci, and I had seen his other kind of big three on the big mm-hmm. screen before, but never a zombie. Yeah. I'm excited for that one. Yeah. It's a good time. So besides They Live, yeah. which of course was a repeat, but it was really <laughs> fun to see it in that setting. Um, one that I watched recently that I don't know why I didn't watch it sooner. Uh, it was White House Down oh, with right. uh, Channing Tatum yeah. and Jamie Foxx and directed by Roland Emmerich, who, mm-hmm. you know, directed my beloved and your beloved Independence Day and some right. other movies we won't talk about. <laughs> um, I loved this movie. Really? And I mean, I know it's not like the most critically beloved, so whatever. I had a great time. Um, there's lots of action, there's lots of Channing Tatum, so I don't need too much more than those two things, really. Uh, Richard Jenkins is in it, and I always enjoy seeing him. And James Woods is in it, and he's going to come up in another, uh, movie that we're talking about. Okay, I'm excited for for that. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was better than its reputation, and maybe it's just because it's been a while since, it's been like nine years since it came out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, nine years. So, um, you know, I mean... I, I think it would have been fun to see in a theater, though. I it wasn't. I wish I... Well, I might have a different opinion, <laughs> you might. though. Um, you I might. do have a weakness for anything Channing Tatum does, so, I mean, I'll admit to that right away. But I do think it was just, like, a fun disaster movie. Sure. And despite, like, impossibility, I kind of don't care when I'm watching a Roland Emmerich movie about right. possibility. I just kind of want good action scary villains and good like twists and turns and that's what we got all right so i was very very on board with that movie have you seen olympus has fallen i have not okay it's like uh well it's kind of a lateral move for me (laughs) it's a lot more like serious it's pretty Uh grim whereas white house down one of my issues with it is that like it's so dopey like i think that's what i liked about it yeah which i understand um white house down might be more entertaining yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time. I mean, I felt like Fox and Tatum had good chemistry yeah. as, like, the president and a guy who's trying to become a Secret Service guy who then just happens to be there on a day when that's needed. Right. He's a very... Um... Joey King is his daughter? Yeah. Right? So, okay, that's, yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. memory. I knew right? I recognized her from something, and I was trying to figure out why, and then, yeah, we did look it up later. Okay. I think it was Joey King. Um, but, yeah, that was a fun one. All right, good. Um... I also watched another political related, if you want to call White House down political. <laughs> um, that was probably a stretch, to be honest. There's a president in it, so it kind there of is a president. It takes place at the White it's House. At the White House, Patrick. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there was another political movie that was actually more serious that I watched, and this one we just kind of happened upon. I was scrolling through Canopy one day, and okay. I was like, 
this is a Paul Rudd movie I haven't heard of before. Let's watch it. And it's called The Catcher Was a Spy. Never heard of it. came out in 2018. I guarantee you, like, three people have heard of this movie, and all of them are in the movie. (laughs) Um, Not, like, amazing, but basically it takes place during World War II, and Paul Rudd plays a baseball player for the Red Sox, who also is, like, a genius that speaks many languages and, like, has a degree from one of the big colleges, whatever, one of the Ivy League schools. So you'd say he's, like, wicked, fat, and smart? I would. I would. Sadly, he doesn't use that accent. Well, he's on the Red Sox. He's supposed I mean, to. He's supposed to. It's kind of the rules. If he'd been played by Ben <laughs> oh, Affleck, it's fucking World War Two, kid. I know. Fuck so, the fucking Nazis. That would have added a star for me. Um, <laughs> but Boston accent is not one of the many languages that his character speaks. Um, he also has uh, is joined in this cast by Sienna Miller. Okay. I, you know, remember her from sort like, of. A long time ago when yeah. people were talking about Sienna Miller. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Connie Nielsen, who I always like to I see. I like Connie Nielsen, things, yeah. Even when they're Wonder Woman. Um, Shay Wiggum is in it, and I like him. And Tom Wilkinson. So, okay. Um, interesting cast. But yeah, he's a baseball player who becomes a spy for the U.S. government, and they try to uh, have him potentially take out a guy who's building a bomb for the Germans. Wow. Scientist. So, and this is supposedly a true story. Um I'm sure it's extremely loosely based, <laughs> but the premise is there. It was interesting, um, but slow. It's very deliberately paced. There's also some interesting implications that maybe his character is gay, but like closeted. Okay. Um, I wish they had kind of explored that a little yeah, bit right, more. Right. Because that would have maybe added some dimension. Um, he gets kind of shit from other ball players because he's such a private guy and like he doesn't he's not married. But he does live with a woman, Sienna Miller. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of kind of unspoken things there. So the movie is more him kind of grappling with, is it right to kill a scientist on the off chance that he might be doing this thing that's bad? And how can I determine whether or not he actually is doing it or is capable of doing it? Or maybe he's on our side, but he just can't safely say he is. So it's a very like ethical question kind of movie, more than an action-y spy thriller. So. Depends on your mileage, I guess, but um, I mostly enjoyed it. Good. Is it was it difficult at all to buy Paul Rudd in a period piece? Because he strikes me as somebody who's like inherently contemporary. Well, yes and no. Okay. I think it was harder just to buy him as like a serious person. Sure. Because I feel like he brings at least a little comedic edge to even his more right. serious roles. Um. But he has kind of a look that kind of looks like a classic film star if you look at him in a certain light. Okay. And he's got, like, at least one British parent, so he sometimes has British-sounding words. Okay. And that sort of sounds like a classic film accent to me sometimes. Got it. But I'm probably making excuses for that. <laughs> no. I don't know. It, it may be not an issue at all. I haven't seen the movie. Yeah. So, but when you said Paul Rudd's in uh, Paul Rudd in World War II, I was like, oh, that doesn't. Unless he's time traveling, I, mean, I can't Chris picture Evans that. Chris Evans is in a World War II movie, and he's yeah plausible. Yeah, I guess. And I think Paul Rudd is like less modern than Chris Evans. <laughs> well, maybe it helps that they dressed Chris Evans up as a superhero. You know, that may have helped. Yeah, yeah. Paul Rudd, also a superhero. Also a superhero. Is he playing Ant-Man in this movie? It would have been better if he was. (laughs) 
But um, I like to picture him as Ant Man in all of in his all movies. movies. Yeah. yeah, including Clueless, which is on your shirt. It is on my shirt, exactly. So, um, yeah, this is like a three and a half star movie. I would say if you're interested in it, it's on Canopy. I don't know for how long, but Canopy is free through your library. So free yeah. for Canopy because I think it's a cool three and a half out of four or five. Five. Okay. Letterbox rules. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Got it. Um, I will try to briefly mention a few more. I don't want to burn through all of our time just talking about what I've seen lately. <laughs> I did see um, Spin Me Round, which you mentioned I think, oh, on yeah. the last podcast, maybe? On the Allison summer Green. show, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, and I completely agree with your analysis that she definitely should have ended up with Aubrey Plaza. I mean, that's true of most movies, but it like, is. very true of Spin Me Round. Yeah. I felt like it was sort of missing a little bit of an ending, but... Big time. (laughs) (laughs) It is just a little lark of a movie. It's like, look, we're going to Italy and having a good time. And it's kind of shapeless. And uh, it's not great, but it's like pleasant. It had fun moments. Yeah. Fun people. Right, right, right. Went some places I did not expect. Right. So, yeah, that was fun. And I finally got around to Turning Red. The uh, Pixar movie. Which I and... don't think I've actually... Like, I've been in the room while it's been on 50 times. But okay. I don't know that I've actually, like, sat down and yeah. watched it. I, I don't know why I waited. But I waited until, you know, now to see it. Now that the discourse has died down. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, it's not my favorite Pixar, but I okay. liked the themes. I liked the character. My favorite thing about it was the boy band music that was apparently written by... Phineas and oh that's right um Billy Billy so yeah very catchy and very uh accurate to its era because it's actually set in 2002 yes era (laughs) um it's set in 2002 and I was a boy band crazy person for a time at that time who was your favorite in sync okay all the way okay so who else is in the running Backstreet Boys Backstreet Boys 98 Degrees 98 Degrees came a little bit later okay um 98 Degrees was that Nick Lachey that was okay yeah TV's own Nick Lachey TV's own yes of Love is Blind and many other reality shows now (laughs) yeah um and Newlyweds a long time ago yeah Uh, (laughs) I saw all of Newlyweds yeah well see so I guess you're a 98 Degrees guy uh I guess I am yeah I don't have an allegiance to any of the boy bands. You were really. never an LFO person. Or LFO? Like... Yeah, they're the ones that sing Summer Girls. I don't know that song. I like girls that wear red prom. Yes, I do know that song. Yeah, you do. Okay. Yeah, LFO. What does LFO stand for? Light funky ones. Oh, God. I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> um, and sadly, two of the three of them are no longer with us. Oh, my gosh. I know. Bad luck for that. LFO ending in tragedy. I know. What the hell? No longer light or funky. No. But still one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I actually really liked them. So anyway, okay. um, back to movies. Yeah, back to movies. Turning Red was good. Okay. I liked it. Good. Um, and the last one I will mention is connected to our theme, but I didn't quite make my list. It's called Cold in July. Oh, yes. And stars Michael C. Hall, Don Johnson, Sam Shepard, Vanessa Shaw. And it's based on a book by Joe Lansdale, who's a writer that I admire and enjoy. And the director is one that will be familiar to horror fans because he did We Are What We Are. It's mm-hmm. uh, Stakeland, I, I believe. That is, is correct. Yeah. One. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely an interesting one. It starts out as like a home invasion gone wrong. And then um, it turns into something different entirely. There's a stocking situation. But then that, well, you know, things shift in, in neo-noirs. But right. it's an interesting kind of southern fried 
hard-boiled situation. Mm -hmm. There's some very memorably things that I wish I didn't have in my head. There's certain scenes that I was like, but um, well done. It just, you know, was kind of blah. Uh, I liked it, but I wasn't, like, over the moon about it. Okay. I haven't seen it since 2014 when it came out. I remember really liking Don Johnson's performance. Yeah, he's the best thing about it. And wondering why they had to go, like, all in on Dexter's mullet. Yeah. Which is a band I used to open for, (laughs) Dexter's mullet. They were okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that wraps up my, what have I seen lately that okay. is not related to this episode. What about you, Patrick? What have, what you have seen? I seen? Let's see. Erica and I watched the English language remake of Goodnight Mommy. Oh boy. Are you familiar with Goodnight Mommy? I'm very familiar. Okay. Um, I called the, the twist a minute in. Yeah, me too. So didn't really care for the movie. No, I didn't either. Um... The English language, it's one of those that just, like, fails to move the needle in either direction. You're mm-hmm. just like, oh, this they they made this just so they could do it in English. Sure. So you wouldn't have to read subtitles. Like, it's pretty faithful to the original. Probably not as good. Naomi Watts plays the mom. Okay. Um, there's she a couple... has become just a mom actor. I guess. At a certain point, you yeah. just become mom. Um, it's streaming for... You know, quote unquote, free on Amazon Prime if you're mm-hmm. a subscriber. So there, you have nothing to lose by watching it except 90 minutes. But it's hard to recommend because I'm not even a huge fan of the original. But if I'm going to recommend one, it would be the original. Right. I mean, here's yeah. Whenever there's a remake that's just like let's put this into English, but basically everything else is the same. Yeah. I'm skeptical. Yeah. And I'm hard pressed to think of one where it really came off as like even equivalent if not better i think and i may be in the minority on this but Mm -hmm. i think matt reeves let me in stands on its own that's the only one i could think of that was yeah i mean it's not as good as let the let the right one in but i think it could stand on its own i think both can coexist I think it was a victim at the time of coming out too soon after Let the Right One In. Yeah, but they had to capitalize on Chloe Grace Moretz. Of course. I mean, who has just who taken over Hollywood. Right. Vampire. And isn't the boy Cody Smith McPhee, Academy was Award it? nominee? Oh my gosh, Cody I didn't even put that Smith together. McPhee. Was he uh, nominated that's... for an Oscar? I feel like he was, he was. for Power of the Dog. Yes, yeah. Um, can I, I. I know you're much more of like an awards person than no. I am, but like people coming out of Toronto just mm-hmm. predicting Oscars. I'm like, I can't think of a less interesting way to talk about movies than like, well, what are its Oscar chances? It is reductive. Um, but I will, in full disclosure, say that I am a fan of the Little Gold Men podcast and I listen faithfully <laughs> to it. So I am probably definitely more of an awards person. Um, okay. I completely don't think that they make a difference in whether a film is good or not. Sure. But I am still intrigued by all the drama and machinations Which that go I totally into get. Oscar campaigning yeah. and the behind-the-scenes bickering and all that right. stuff. Like, it, it fascinates me. Sure. But not because I think it makes a difference of whether a movie's good or not. Which is sense. a very healthy way to look at it, I and think. And I just, I like predicting things. So, sure. you know, that's part of it, too, for me. Jessica Chastain won for Eyes of Tammy Faye. I know. What are we doing? I kind of liked that. Uh, that's fine. That's um, fine. I, I just I understand it wasn't like great, but for some reason 
you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who likes Jessica Chastain more than I do. And I it's not her was... best performance. No, I... <laughs> she's been great in most other things. Yes, and it was mostly makeup. Yes, but what are we doing? We're rewarding Jessica Chastain because it's her year. Because like, it was that's her what year. It tends Ex- to come down to, and that, but that's you know? always the case where like a narrative forms. <sighs> yeah, and then we just subscribe to that narrative, and it's like right. But that's why, I mean, here's here's why I still get excited about it. Because things like Parasite can still happen. Sure. And, you know, weird movies like The Shape of Water can win Best Picture for some reason. Sure. And I don't even care for that movie that much. But, like, it's a weird-ass movie. It is. And the fact that it won Best Picture is kind of amazing. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. It's It's weird to see, like, what breaks through and what hits with those audiences and what doesn't. I definitely get horrified whenever they do this, like, anonymous Oscar ballot conversation. Like, you hear about how, oh, I didn't watch half these movies because I don't like to read subtitles or whatever. You know, like, the horrible comments that get made. But, um, I don't know. For the ones that do break through that need the Oscar push to get seen by more people, I think that still makes it worth it for me. All right. Overall, uh, I know that they're bullshit. (laughs) I don't know how we got here from Goodnight Mommy, but... uh... Cody Smith McPhee. Cody Smith McPhee. <laughs> let the right one in. Let, got it. Yeah. Let me in. Yeah. Just got to yeah. back it up. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I talked about a new Neil LeBute movie that we saw called Out of the Blue that wants to be a film noir so badly. And I was like, mm. it's not good. Uh, cut to two weeks later, Neil LeBute has another new movie out. Wow. He's got two in a month. Uh, this one's called House of Darkness. Okay. And it stars Kate Bosworth and Justin Long. That's a pairing. It is. Um, it's on VOD. That I don't even... It's a weird thing, because I don't want to give much away. Sure. But, like, the poster, the tagline, the plot description, when you rent it, all of those give it away. Okay. The character names, it, give it away. Is the house dark? <laughs> It's a dark house. Okay, I'm not so gonna the title gives it away. Yeah, also. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. The sure. house is dark. Okay, not so dark that I couldn't see it. Sure. Like Goodnight Mommy, uh-huh. half the movie was obscured by so much darkness that I couldn't tell what was going on, uh, and that's just becoming more and more of a trend. But we can save that for a different podcast. But House of Darkness, the twist again is telegraphed by all those things I already mentioned. It's treated like a twist. I think that's a mistake. Until then, it's like at least Neil LeBute on more familiar ground, very much sort of this back and forth man versus woman negotiating, like, are we going to hook up or not? Um, I think Justin Long is so good at playing guys who are kind of dicks, but not so as you would know it. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely at a certain point will reveal that he's an asshole but I don't think right away he reveals it but you can tell all along that he's not a very nice guy yeah. um, so I, I, I thought it was kind of worth watching just for Justin Long's performance when it becomes I guess spoilers because again it's the category you rent it in when you rent mm-hmm. it it's technically a horror movie when it becomes a horror movie, it's so much less interesting. Mm. Is it secretly an episode of MTV's Cribs featuring the band The Darkness? I wish. 
because I was thinking that would be a really good twist. <laughs> Are they still around? Um, I know that the lead singer sometimes does like YouTube reviews of albums. Weird. Um, because does he, he sing watches them? them. Oh, okay. Uh, but I haven't really kept up with their career. To be okay. Honest. I heard, I believe, in a thing called Love, like twice in the span of a week, Ooh. out places. And it was like, oh my gosh, I haven't heard this song in over 10 years. Yeah. And now I've heard it twice in a week. But I otherwise rarely think of the darkness. Yeah. Until I saw House of Darkness. Yeah. Are they on the soundtrack? They are not. There's no <laughs> bands on the soundtrack at all. It's a real bummer. Um, I guess the last movie I'll mention, we talked about They Live. Uh is a movie that's on Netflix that I watched sort of in preparation for this, but again, isn't going to make my list, mm-hmm. much like uh, Cold in July. July for you. Uh, it's called Windfall, with Jason Siegel and Jesse Plemons okay. and Lily Collins. And it seems like a pandemic movie, much like House of Darkness, which mm-hmm. is like one location, very few actors, dialogue-driven. Um, Jason Siegel, who I thought had just retired or disappeared. Right. He hasn't been in a lot lately. No, just pops up in this movie Windfall. Uh, and it's co-written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who wrote Seven and The Game and Sleepy Hollow. Hasn't written anything in a while and suddenly co-writes this movie Windfall. Jason Siegel is a guy who's basically robbing Jesse Plemons and Lily Collins and they catch him and then it's 90 minutes of what do we do? Yeah. Um, worth watching, again, on... Netflix. If it was playing in theaters, I probably wouldn't tell people to go see it. Mm-hmm. But for a 90-minute Netflix movie, you could do way worse. Well, I will definitely be... Um, do they still say adding it to my queue? I don't know if they do. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember when that was the thing with the disc service where you had to add it right. to the queue and then move things around in the order. And I don't feel like thing. I have a queue anymore. Yeah. Like, I now I just, just like, go right to the title. Yeah. Well, you can of... add things to a list of some kind, but okay. I don't know. There's so many weird algorithms. I don't even bother to do that. I just, like, just search up the title and watch it and then forget about it yeah. forever because... That's Netflix. Sure. It's well, ephemeral. I do like Jason Siegel, so I'll probably check it out. And Jesse Plemons is actually, speaking of The Power of the Dog, yeah. Academy Award nominee Cody Smith-McPhee, yes. Academy Award nominee Jesse Plemons, uh, is very good in it, playing a character that's different than what we usually see him play. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Again, it's and it's pretty short, which is yeah. nice. I get excited when I click on a movie and it's like, 90 minutes, I'm in. Right? That feels like 15 minutes now <laughs> because most movies are three hours long. Yeah, they <laughs> are. More. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Should we talk neo-noir movies? Let's talk neo-noir movies, Okay. Patrick. You are the expert. I'm going to let you. So we each picked five. Uh, are, are these my top five? I don't necessarily know, but there are five that I really like. Um but I will let you go first. What is your first underrated neo-noir? Yeah, so this one is from 1987. oh And it is directed by John Flynn, who used to work with okay. Robert Wise, who's directed a lot of, like, you know, film noir himself back in the day. Yeah. Um, so definitely has the bona fides. And it is starring Brian Dennehy and James Woods. Oh, I know this movie. Yeah. it It's called Bestseller. Yeah. It is really um, just, like, unexpected for me because I don't think of James Woods or Brian Dennehy necessarily as, like, A-list movie stars. Right. 
And it was written by Larry Cohen, and apparently when he wrote it, he was thinking of, like, Burt Lancaster and <laughs> Kirk Douglas to play these roles, which I'm sure they aged out of by the time it finally got made. Yeah, right. Um, but it starts off, the, the opening scene, I will say, like, it never probably gets better than the opening scene, because the opening scene is really fun, where you see these guys in uh, Richard Nixon masks, um, basically robbing a, like, evidence unit in a police uh kind of station and it's very intense of course there's like a shootout and a stabbing and you know things go wrong um brian dennehy is one of the cops that this happens to and he kind of uses that experience to get into writing books so he writes a book about that called inside job and you know that's a bestseller but then his wife dies of cancer and he's raising his daughter and he has writer's block so he's a cop but he's, his heart's not in it and lo and behold one day along comes james woods who um, saves his life from uh, another, I guess, robbery gone wrong and is trying to get him to write his own life story. So um, he's a hitman, um, not the gross point blank kind, but right. I guess maybe along those lines. More the James Woods kind More the of James hitman. Woods kind, yeah. I mean, James Woods is definitely James Woods in this movie. Yes. Um, Which is what you want when you hire James Woods. That's what you get. Um, Especially 80s James Woods. I just think he has an extra layer of sleaze to him. Yeah. And so this movie is interesting because it is a noir in the sense that, like, it's about these these criminals and it's about basically um, the character played by James Woods is employed by a corporation that basically has him do their dirty work. So he has done all these murders, made them look like accidents in order to advance the profits of this corporation. So then they are powerful and are trying to keep the book from being published. And, you know, it escalates. Right, um, right. Which I like that it's kind of an examination of, like, the corruption of capitalism, as well as this weird relationship between a cop-turned-writer and a criminal who's trying to maybe turn into a hero in some way because mm-hmm. he's kind of whistleblowing on this organization, mm-hmm. but he's still fully a criminal. Like right, he's right. still out there killing people. Right. right. So you start having empathy for James Woods, even though he's James Woods, <laughs> um, which is interesting, but yeah. Have you seen this movie at all? I have. I wrote about it for the site years ago when the Blu-ray came out. Oh, cool. And as you're describing it, I'm like, I remember none of this movie. Yeah. So I 100% need to rewatch it. I own it, so I do need to see it again because you're definitely making me want to revisit it. Well, it's on Amazon Prime right now. Even better. And it's on Tubi if you don't have Amazon Prime. Yeah. So Tubi is where it's at. Um, it definitely is underrated. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it one star. What? Um, so what he said is, and I mean, look, he's not wrong. He says, <laughs> filming this writing... This movie has James Woods. Yeah. Have you read his Twitter feed? <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> no, he said, filming writing as a creative process seems to be Hollywood's impossible challenge. <laughs> Maybe somebody should offer a reward. So yeah, like the writer part of it, I can get why Ebert has beef. You don't really see a lot of the actual writing. A lot of it is the two of them crisscrossing the country to previous scenes of crimes and him trying to convince... Dennehy that he really is who he says he is and did the things he said he did and he's not just like full of it right um and Dennehy kind of understandably is like I'm skeptical like yeah you're a scary dude but if you are who you say you are I'm in a lot of danger and I want to make sure it's for a legit reason that I'm like putting myself out there right um he also has a 16 year old daughter who I will say seems a little too trusting um (laughs) 
I, you know, I was probably very trusting at 16 as well, but she definitely trusts the wrong people. Um, she's probably, I hate to say it, but she's probably the weak link in the movie. Otherwise, okay. like, it's pretty good. It's not like a five-star film, yeah. but it's definitely an underrated film that I bet most people haven't seen or right. have forgotten about. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's very worth tracking down. Like, the script itself, um, some people thought it might be inspired by Watergate, and, you know, the writer and director have said that's not the case, but okay. it's coming out of that 70s era. It didn't get era. made until the 80s, yes. <laughs> um, it didn't get made until the 80s, but it was written in the 70s where there was a lot more, like, suspicion about governments and shady organizations, and so it has echoes of that, like, paranoid thriller okay. going on, which I really liked. I feel like even if you said... Ebert was right. This is a one-star movie. Yeah. But it's written by Larry Cohen. It's directed by John Flynn. And it stars James Woods and Brian Dennehy. Yeah. I'm signed up. You're in, right? Yes, 100%. It's it's definitely... And it's not a long movie. Um, I watched it this morning, actually. (laughs) I think it's like 90 minutes. It might even be less than that. Um, It goes by pretty fast. Yeah. And there's some really cool locations. There's a really interesting and fun, like shootout at a huge party that takes place at a mansion on you know the california seaboard and there's like little kids there because it's a fundraiser for underprivileged children and so it's like you know navigating a shootout with a bunch of children in the shot and so yeah it's definitely interesting it has a lot of ideas and maybe not every single one of them you know comes to fruition sure um larry cohen liked it mostly but he criticized the ending he said the last three minutes ruined the whole movie which I'll leave that to you to decide. I wouldn't okay. want to tell you what it is. Right. I get his point, but I think it doesn't ruin it for okay. me. I think the journey is still fun. And I've decided I'm a fan of young Dennehy. He's really, like, any era Dennehy, but era. I don't see a lot of his, like, younger era movies. I said era, era again. I know. Um, it's a disease. Uh, yeah. He, he's one of those guys really that, like, he's one of those guys that I never think of. Like, when I'm thinking of actors I really love, I'm never like, you know, Brian Dennehy. But then he shows up at something, and you're like, holy shit, Brian Dennehy is right. always great, and He's I'm always happy great. to see him show up. Exactly. And I feel like, again, he doesn't get to be the lead actor in most things, at least the ones I've seen. Right. So him getting, like, star billing yes. is great. Yes. It really lets him kind of flex those dramatic muscles in a way that he doesn't get to do very often. Yeah. So, worth checking out, for sure. I'm into it. I'm going to rewatch it. Yeah. You sold me. Yes. Um... What's your number five? My number five is also from 1987, which oh, is cool. why I said, uh-oh, when you said yours, because I was like, oh, my, our goal was to not match. Yes. But I didn't really write down any standbys. Mm-hmm. I have a few that I could probably jump to if you name one of mine, but... Um, I was refining my list until 6.45. Oh, wow. Okay. Seven. So, <laughs> I admire um, that. I might have some standbys. Okay. Um, so when you said 87, I was like, oh, shit, but yeah. then you said John Flynn, so I was safe. Uh, this is directed by the recently departed great Bob Rafelson. Oh, love Bob Rafelson. Bob Rafelson rules and uh, just passed away recently, but this is Black Widow. Oh, excellent choice. Starring Deborah Winger as a Justice Department employee who kind of goes after Teresa Russell, who plays this woman who seduces men they fall in love with her she marries them and then she kind of poisons them Mm -hmm. you know in some mysterious way and kills them off and takes all their money um and so deborah winger kind of goes after her and it's just rare i mean Teresa russell is a great kind of femme fatale Mm -hmm. uh she's just built for that kind of role but it's rare that we get a film noir where 
the femme fatale is playing opposite another woman. Right. Uh, it's almost always a relationship between a man and a woman. So to have Deborah Winger play the, you know, the cop who's going after her uh, adds a level of interest for me anyway. Um, it's nice to see, you know, a Hollywood movie headlined by two women. We don't get that anymore. <laughs> so, um, and the cast is unbelievable. Like people, Dennis Hopper shows up for two scenes. Right. Terry O'Quinn plays Deborah Winger's boss. Nicole Williamson plays one of the men that Teresa Russell marries. Diane Ladd shows up in a couple of roles. D.W. Moffat, who just came up on the podcast, like, or it was on the Patreon mm. uh, a couple weeks ago. Leo Rossi plays a cop who's just a scumbag. Mary Warnoff plays a scuba diving instructor. Like, everyone who shows up, you're just like, holy shit, look who it is. Um, it's not especially like moody or tense but Rafelson has a lot of fun with the kind of cat and mouse and there's a good a pretty good twist in it mm-hmm. um yeah it's just a really solid movie that kind of gets forgotten because it was in 1987 it was kind of just a programmer right it has some really memorable scenes too. Like I, the, the whole scuba diving scene is yes, yeah, uh, that kind is of the set piece of the movie. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also a little part of it that reminds me of Single White Female. There's a little section that's a little like Persona Single White Female ish, where they're sort of mirroring each other a little mm-hmm, bit, and that's mm-hmm. really interesting too. Because if I remember correctly, and it's been a couple of years since I saw it, I think, but I feel like you know the the character who's doing all the murdering is also, you know, wealthy and she's living this jet setting yes. lifestyle. And so there's a certain thing about it that's a little bit aspirational, I think. Yes. Um, so that adds a little layer for for Deborah Winger. Who's where... basically working like a desk job at the exactly. Justice Department. And it's, it's a, like it's a very thankless kind right. of existence right. where she doesn't have a lot of romance in her life. And right. this is probably the most exciting thing that's happened to her. Yes, for sure. Yeah great pick yeah thank you it's uh it's there's a blu-ray from twilight time that i think is out of print my guess is like at some point kino lorber will probably pick it up because they seem to have been picking up a lot of the twilight time stuff um otherwise you can rent it in all the usual places yeah that's definitely a good one well, my next pick is a Steven Soderbergh movie that, from my understanding, he has distanced himself from. Interesting. And thinks it's oh, his worst movie. I know exactly what this movie is. And it came out in 1995. Yes. It stars a man with the bushiest eyebrows in the business, <laughs> Peter Gallagher. The movie I'm talking about is The Underneath. Yes. Have you seen this movie, Patrick? Not for years, but I remember buying a copy of Criterion's, I think, King of the Hill. Yeah. Specifically because it comes with The Underneath. It's weird to me that they package this as I, just like an extra. I don't get it, but I'm glad to own it on I'm Blu-ray. glad you have it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just have a DVD of it, and I hadn't watched it before uh, yesterday. And then I put it on because I was like, well, it's Soderbergh. I love Out of Sight. I'm not going to talk about Out of Sight because that's probably his best known like noir-ish yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you haven't seen it, go see it. <laughs> um, but I was like, okay, let's see what this is all about. And... It also has, besides Peter Gallagher, who was reteaming with him after Sex, Lies, and Videotape, right. which um, I need to go back to at some point, uh, Paul Dooley is in it, Allison Elliott, William Fickner, 
Um, Elizabeth Shue, Jodan Baker. There's even a little bit part with Shelley Duvall. Mm -hmm. Um, So a really good cast. And if you're a noir fan in general of like classic noir, it's a remake of Criss Cross. Right. Which, you know, bold choice to remake a classic film because that one is well-renowned. And, um, you know, kind of, yeah, Yvonne DiCarlo, Burt Lancaster, like, fantastic movie. Um, Kind of akin to somebody remaking Psycho, Patrick. (laughs) Who would dare? Who would do that? Um, But, yeah, I actually really liked this movie. Like, it really bowled me over. And it's not just because the story is good. I mean, the story is really good and really compelling. And it does some unique things with it. But I thought that the kind of the flashbacks that they used Mm -hmm. to kind of tell the backstory of the character were interesting. Um, So I guess I should say what the premise is if you haven't seen Criss Cross or The Underneath. Um, So Peter Gallagher is coming back home to Texas after being away for an undisclosed period of time because his mom is getting married and he's never met, you know, his new stepdad. And it seems like he maybe left town under some interesting circumstances, but we don't know what those are at the beginning of the movie. Um, he meets a girl on the bus and exchanges numbers with her, and then he gets back into town, and we find out he also has an ex-girlfriend that is hanging around and is with William Fickner, who's maybe not the nicest of guys, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, and his mom is marrying a guy who works for a armored truck company. Right. So you know there's going to be some sort of holdup with an armored truck company, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the rules of movie making. Um, and, you know, we kind of get... A backstory that is quite romantic between himself and his ex-girlfriend, Rachel, played by Allison Elliott. She's really, really good in this movie. Um, and he, it turns out, was a gambler, had some bad debts, and wasn't the best at paying them. Not maybe quite to the level of Uncut Gems, but maybe along <laughs> those lines, right? That's the, the most current reference. His brother is a cop. His brother stayed home and helped his mom when his dad died, and... You know, there's some resentments between them, so that adds to some fuel to the fire. And, you know, of course, he's trying to get his ex back, um, but she's with this gangster. So lots of complicated things happening. Um, and there's a lot of interesting things that happen in the plot. But again, I think the style of the movie is really what stood out to me. Because yeah. the way that it's shot, like, he uses a lot of cool colors. He shoots through colored glass. That's my a memory. Few times within the color. house. Um, and even the stuff inside the armored truck, like you see it tinted a little bit. So there's a lot of greens and blues, just a really visually interesting movie. Mm-hmm. And Soderbergh is never boring when right. it comes to that. Right. Um, his cinematographer was Elliot Davis, who also did Out of Sight. So okay. makes sense. Um, but yeah, really worth tracking down. I don't think it's that bad. No, I remember liking it. This Is this like his big studio debut? Because he made it for Universal. Yeah. I can't think of a major studio movie he made before this, but maybe I'm remembering wrong. I'm trying to think, too. I mean, that would make sense to me, but I can't say for certain. Um, But, yeah, even looking up, I was trying to find interviews with, like, Peter Gallagher, and even Peter Gallagher has, like, distanced himself from this movie and said, well, you know, they can't all be good ones. And I'm like, this is a good one. Like, I don't understand... Maybe they just, it, it didn't turn out how they planned it to. I don't know. But I really liked it. Yeah. I, I This is another one that you've talked me into revisiting now. So I love your list so far because I really want to rewatch both of these immediately, Bestseller and The Underneath. Uh, the Underneath appears to be a little harder to see 
it's on DVD. You can yeah. get the DVD. You can get it on Blu-ray as part of King of the Hill. But in terms of like renting it digitally, you can only get it from the Microsoft Store. Weird. Which I didn't know was a thing. Okay. Well, I'm <laughs> glad I had the DVD then. I must. Have, I think yeah, I picked that up sure. a long time ago with like maybe a half price book situation or whatever. But yeah. that's a good half price books pickup. It is. <laughs> that's perfect. Um, yeah, it is kind of one of those underseen little gems, and and can stand on its own apart from crisscross like it's not as good as crisscross right crisscross rather um but it works on its own it does and i think if you i mean the great thing about film noir is even if you've seen it before the plots are usually so complicated that you don't remember what all happens right right exactly and that's even more the case if it's like okay i saw crisscross a few years ago and i remember some complicated twists and turns and now i'm vaguely remembering that as i go into this it's fine. You are not going to feel like this movie is spoiled okay. for you. I, I, it's interesting that you say Alison Elliott is really good in it. My memory of it, and again, this is a 20-year-old memory, is that she was miscast, mm-hmm. that I like couldn't buy her as a femme fatale. But it was 20 years ago, so yeah. I need to revisit it because I take your word for it. But that can sink a movie sometimes. I wanted to revisit like the Black Dahlia because I love De Palma, but then I'm remembering like Hilary Swank's performance I and how remember. miscast she was really like being excited for that one and then falling like, asleep watching it. Which is not good. <laughs> it doesn't totally work. Yeah. Is my memory. But I, it's been a couple of years since yeah. I saw it. I so. might need to go back to that one too. Yeah. I need to do a whole De Palma rewatch because I love him. So He rules. Yes. Um what's your are we up to number four for you? Sure. Uh this is probably the most obvious pick on my list, especially when I put something out on Twitter about it. And a lot of people were agreeing with me, so maybe it's not that underrated. But I think it's underrated within this filmmaker's uh, body of work. Mm. And that's Christopher Nolan's remake of Insomnia. <sighs> yes, I love this one. I, I do love a too. good snowy noir. Yeah, well, it's like a daytime noir, which mm-hmm. doesn't usually... Those don't exist, really, you know. But again, this is all set during the daytime because they're up in Alaska, where it is never night. Right. Um, Al Pacino and his partner, played by Martin Donovan, go up to find uh, the murderer of a young woman. I I don't... Do I even spoil what happens from there? Maybe I shouldn't. Uh, Robin Williams is involved. I don't even want to say what happens, but it's never night and Al Pacino can't sleep and it leads to problems. I Hillary, speaking of Hillary Swank, she's in this. She's really good. This is a movie with a Hillary Swank performance to burn. Mm -hmm. Um... I what I put on Twitter was I think this would be in my top three Christopher Nolan movies. Like this is the one I want to keep going back to and revisiting, and it gets ignored so often. Like I think Memento is the neo noir that Nolan made that people mm-hmm. talk about, or even The Dark Knight. Um, but for me, Insomnia is one of his best. I kind of like. I miss the Christopher Nolan that like could do a small movie. That's exactly what I was thinking too, because I. Love Inception, love The Dark Knight. I have no problem with Nolan's newer stuff, but I really loved his early, like his first three movies to me are where it's at. Like strip it down to just the skin and bones. Show me what you can do with $30,000 in five days to shoot this movie. (laughs) That's why I love Following. I think Following is probably my second favorite of his movies because it's super simple, but it does so much with so little and you're just not expecting it. It just comes out of nowhere. 
Um, Second favorite after what? After Inception. Inception's my, my favorite. favorite as well. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's it's too good. Yeah. But, yeah, it was funny. I was trying to think about, like, who the most common touchstones probably are when people think of, like, neo-noir directors. I would say probably it is, like, Nolan, yeah. the Coens, and Tarantino, basically, because of, like, his first three movies. Sure, yeah. Um, because a lot of what Nolan has done ha- could be, you know, counted in noir at least a little bit. Maybe Up not. to a point. He seems to have abandoned that Maybe in sort of the interstellar. And I have seen Tenet, so I can't say for sure on that it one. It doesn't. But, um, yeah, I mean, I love that he kind of brought that genre back into, you know, popularity yeah. to an extent. yeah. Um, of course, you do get some people just ripping off the Nolan thing. It doesn't always go well the same way that people ripped off, you know, Tarantino right. in the 90s. And some of those were good and some of them were really, really bad. Most of them were bad. Most of them were bad. <laughs> um, but you never know, right? Every once in a while, some of them slip through. So yeah, for sure. If it can inspire people to go back to the source material, I think it's worth it. And Insomnia is a great choice for that. Al Pacino's great in it. Um, Robin Williams, especially, is really great. I always really love Robin Williams in dramatic roles. Yeah. I rarely like him in comedic roles. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Except for something like maybe The Birdcage. But again, mm-hmm. The Birdcage, he's playing, for lack of a better word, the straight man. Nathan yeah. Lane is sort of the funny one. Right, and right. Robin Williams is the more serious one. That's true. And that's why I think his performance works. But when, when, they, when they just let him off the leash and they're just like, improvise, be wacky. Uh, Robin Williams does not do much for me, but as a dramatic actor, I really love him. This is how I feel about Jim Carrey. Okay. I mean, not always, like, Liar Liar I love, but okay. I definitely think Jim Carrey's serious stuff is way better than his... So, comedy. like, Truman Show, Eternal Sunshine, yeah. number 23? I like that I've one never a little seen bit. that. <laughs> I know, it's it's not, like, beloved, but I do right. like the, the two that you mentioned. Yeah. Um... I just prefer, yeah, less manic, right. a little more subdued. I just, maybe he just needs an editor or somebody who's willing sure. to like, tell him to rein it in. But maybe that was the case with, with Williams a little bit too. But I really remember like being really impressed with Robin Williams in Insomnia. Yes. He's so good. The photography is so gorgeous. All the Alaskan locations. Yeah. Um, I just think it's such a solid movie and I miss, I appreciate that Christopher Nolan like takes huge swings. He is really taking his clout like for a ride around the block. And he's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to make these huge movies and they're going to be shot on 70 millimeter on film. And you have to show them in theaters and you can't show them at home. Like I admire all of that. I respect Christopher Nolan, but I haven't liked a Christopher Nolan movie since 2010, you know? Yeah. Um, and I miss the guy who made some of these early movies. It's funny because we were just talking about, you know, uh, Goodnight Mommy yes. and how it's a remake of something from another country that's not as good. Have you seen the original Insomnia? I have, but I don't remember it that well. Okay. Because I was going to, I haven't. So I was okay. going to ask you how the two compared. I kind of was waiting for that pushback on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I didn't get too much of it. But, like, a lot of the... The original's better, you know? Like, sure. like you're often going to get on Twitter. I didn't get too much of it, which I respect. Yeah. Um, I remember liking it. I think if, if you put the two in front of me, I'm going to watch Nolan's. Right. Um, fun fact about this movie. Uh, it is filmed somewhat in a little town called Hyder, Alaska. And I have been to Hyder, Alaska. Interesting. It is the only part of Alaska I've visited and it's completely surrounded by Canada. Like you can't get to any other part of Alaska because it's got like water around it and mountains and whatever. 
But yeah, so they have like signs. It's a very tiny town, but they have signs on like the restaurants that say, you know, Robin Williams ate here or whatever, <laughs> like stuff like that. They take. Very How did you end up in Hyder, Alaska? Um, long story short, I was trying to visit all fifty U.S. states. Oh, okay. And I was in Washington State, and some friends of mine were like, "Yeah, let's go to Alaska. This is the closest point you can get to, just driving straight north." Mm-hmm. And so we did, and. We were there for like a couple hours, and then we drove back to okay. Columbia, but yeah, it was fun. Cool. I saw a bear. Nice. Yeah. So that's my sidetrack on Insomnia. <laughs> it's a good movie. When I finished watching it, I was like, I could easily watch that again right now. Yeah. You're making me want to go back and watch it, because yeah. I haven't seen it in quite a while. Okay. So, very cool. Yeah. All right. What's next for you? Number three. All right. My number three is streaming on Peacock. Okay. Um, I don't know why, but I mean, I'm happy it was. It is from 2017, directed by Wilson Yip, who directed the Ip Man movies. And it's called Paradox. At least that's the English language title. Um, it's set in both Hong Kong and Thailand. Okay. And it stars Louis Koo, Wu Yu, Gordon Lamb, Chris Collins, and Tony Ja. Okay. And the action is directed by Samo Hung. So, wow. you know it's it's going to be a good time when yeah, you've got right. Ja and Hung. And it is... I'm, I'm putting it on my noir list. I think that it could be a few different genres. There <laughs> is some martial arts going on. But okay. I think that's okay. Um, I'm going to allow it. <laughs> <laughs> it's your um, list. Yeah. So, the basic story is... It's kind of a taken riff, I guess. Um, basically, this, this cop... Um, Hong Kong cop, his 16-year-old daughter goes missing while she's visiting a friend in Thailand. And so he decides to go track her down and and try to find out what happened. So he teams up with the local police, which includes um, Tony Ja, as well as another detective played by Wu Li, or Wu Yu, I should say. And they also cross paths with an American gangster played by Chris Collins, who's possibly part of an organ smuggling ring. Ooh. And so things get very um, violent very quickly. <laughs> it's also one of those movies that's very moody and, like, takes its time with the backstory. Um, so that's why I would put this in the noir category okay. rather than just pure action. Because there's a lot of flashback scenes and a lot of stuff where the dad is just kind of remembering, you know, times with his daughter when she was really young. Her mom died young and... You know, she's the only thing he has left, and then he's remembering things that he maybe said or did that he regrets um, as he's trying to find her and reunite with her. And there's also just great stuff with the the local police as well, because there's potential corruption within the police force. So that adds a complicating factor. There's also somebody running for mayor who needs a heart transplant, so that gets thrown into the mix. It's a lot going on in this movie. Yeah, boy. it is just a really interesting combination of like a dark kind of moody drama mixed with like really intense violent action that okay. is choreographed by Sammo Hung and it's really fun. So I'm sold. I've never seen this movie. Yeah, it came out in 2017, so it's been around for a while. Um, but I hadn't seen it either. In fact, I hadn't even heard of it until I was again scrolling through Peacock to see yeah. what there was to watch besides the Office reruns that I've watched a million times. <laughs> and it was like a Tony Job movie on here. So yeah, I watched it. There's also a sledgehammer scene that would make Patrick Bateman jealous. So okay, if you're not already sold, hopefully that helps. Yeah, um, according to this, it's also on Tubi. Oh, okay. 
Good so to know. if you don't have a Peacock subscription, you can still watch it for free on Tubi. There you go. I'm 100% going to watch this movie. Awesome. What is your number three, Patrick? My number three comes from a category I like to call, is it noir? <laughs> and that is from 2001. It's a movie called Birthday Girl. Ooh, Nicole uh, Kidman. Nicole right? Kidman, yeah. I haven't seen this one, but I remember the poster. Yeah. Um, darn, I was hoping you could tell me if it's noir or not. Well, now I'll have to watch it. Noir or nay. Uh, Ben Chaplin. So this comes from a period of time when we were trying to make Ben Chaplin a thing. Mm -hmm. And it works in this movie because he's supposed to be, like, milquetoast, nondescript. And Ben Chaplin kind of is. He's like a handsomer guy behind the Winkies Diner from Mm -hmm. Mulholland Drive. (laughs) He's like a slightly hunkier Winkies Diner guy. Um... I can't remember that actor's name, but uh, <laughs> this is directed by Jez Butterworth and written by Jez Butterworth and his brother, Tom Butterworth, who wrote like Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. are writers on Indiana Jones 5. Um, not. It's not out yet. Oh, well, then that's why I never saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they also wrote Black Mass, and that movie kind of sucks. Um, but that's not on your list, Never is it? Saw okay, it. okay, good. I was going to feel bad if it was like okay. <laughs> your number two or and something. My two and I... is Black Mass. So Ben Chaplin, he's like this boring Brit um, who is lonely, and so he signs up for like a mail order bride service hmm. sort of and it's nicole kidman and she shows up and she that speaks a good mail order bride to receive you hit the lottery she <laughs> speaks no english uh-huh. um so they have a hard time communicating with one another but they eventually form a routine and then all of a sudden two of her friends show up and they're both french actors but they're playing russian and they're played by matthew katzovitz and Vincent Cassell, uh, and they are like criminal thugs, basically. Sure. And the movie takes a turn in like the something wild direction. It's got a lot of something wild Ooh, in its okay. DNA. I like that. You're selling me. Yeah. Uh, again, it, it it's more like black comedy than it is neo noir. But sure. I think there's enough. She's enough of sort of a riff on a femme fatale, and there's the mm-hmm. crime aspect, and it's dark and. Uh, I have a feeling it's one of these movies that got kind of fucked up because it's a Weinstein production and I'm guessing they had their hands on it. Um, So it doesn't all work, but I've been a fan of it. Erica and I saw it back in 2001 in the theater and I remember really smiling at the very last shot and being like, that, that's a really cool movie that doesn't get talked about hardly ever. At all. Yeah. Adam Risky's a fan. He's the only person I know that likes this movie besides me. Well, I'm going to watch it. I'll All right. You know, if it's a noir, I'm sure. Yes, please. I'm sure it qualifies. Tell me. There's a whole subcategory of being a noir fan, which is just deciding whether something is or is not <laughs> noir. Um, so. I took a shot on this one. I don't know. Um, it is available to rent in all the usual places, and it's on DVD. Sure. You could probably find it at like half price books. It's probably, one of those. I like... probably have seen it there on my most recent trip. And just... It's a perfect half price books movie. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Um, so my next one is, I would say it's not as like lesser known as these others, but I just think it doesn't get brought up in the noir conversation as often as it should. Okay. And that is the movie Set It Off from 1996. Oh, good call. F. Gary Gray. Yeah. So, 
Um, I think this movie deserves, like, the Criterion treatment or something. Like, it really should be more in the, the pantheon of neo-noir. And I think F. Gary Gray is a really good director of this type of film. Um, this might be his best movie, right? I, I mean, I think it is. I really do think it is. I have to um, look at the rest, because I know he did the worst Fast and Furious movie until the most recent one. Right. But he's, I don't know, he's a director that I would like to see given a few more opportunities to make this kind of movie where I yeah. feel like it's his wheelhouse. Yeah. Maybe they're trying to push him or maybe he's trying to push himself to do things that are outside of his wheelhouse and that's why it's not working. I don't know. But it stars Vivica Fox, Queen Latifah, Kimberly Elise, and Jada Pinkett before she was Jada Pinkett Smith. Right. And it's written by Kate Rainier and Takashi Buford, who I couldn't find a ton about Takashi Buford, but Kate Rainier has written one or two other things. Um, this is definitely the best of what she's written. And it's basically about these four women who have been friends since they were young, and they're all, you know, kind of brought together <clears throat> again in their work. One of them worked at a bank, and she gets fired from the bank because the bank is robbed, and she happens to recognize one of the people that robs the bank. Total BS. She has nothing right, to do with the right. robbery, but they're like, mm, we don't want you here. So she ends up joining up with her friends who work for a cleaning service. And her friends are sick of dealing with their shitty boss um, at the cleaning service, who is a real piece of shit. And one of them has, like, child custody issues. One of them is kind of trying to keep her girlfriend happy because her girlfriend has expensive tastes. Mm -hmm. um, this person is played by La Queen Latifah, by the way. Um, and one of them has a family member tragically get shot by a cop. And so they all kind of have their motivations and their reasons for why they want to improve their station in life and kind of stop their day-to-day -day, um, existence. So what they decide to do is rob a bank. <laughs> and um, they are able to pull off the heist, but of course there are always complications when right. these things happen. So um, this movie, I think, doesn't glamorize bank robbery the way that some... Movies of this era would. Era. Um, yes, I keep doing it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this this movie is definitely dark, which is why I think it definitely qualifies as a noir. But it's also a really good story of just female friendship. Mm -hmm. And like you mentioned with Black Widow, it's rare to see two, if not four, right. women, let right. alone women of color, let alone at least one of them is queer, like right. in this type of movie. And so, yeah, it needs to be seen by more people for sure. It's streaming on Tubi, Ooh. according to Just Watch. I haven't know. seen it since theaters in 1996, but I remember really liking it. Yeah, and I was wrong. F. Gary, F. Gary, damn it. F. Gary Gray's best movie is Friday, but this is probably Fair his enough. second best Very movie. Very different tone in Friday. For sure. Um, but I forgot that he even did Friday when I made that comment. Yeah. Because all I had in my head was like Law Abiding Citizen sure. and Fast and Furious 8 and Italian Job. Did he do the Italian? I think he did the Italian Maybe. Job. Maybe. That movie's fine. Yeah. This movie is better. <laughs> it is better. This is a good movie that people should see. Yeah, it really is. It's unexpected. It has a kick-ass soundtrack. The soundtrack itself oh, I don't is remember the fantastic. soundtrack. Okay. A lot of Queen Latifah, of course, because she's in the movie. Right. She's also on the soundtrack. Bone Thugs and Harmony, Brandy, like a whole list of really awesome people. Any so. uh, LFO? No LFO, well, I'm sorry to say. Missed opportunity. There is some seal. Set it off soundtrack. I don't know what that does for you. <laughs> Um, but yeah, set it off. All right. I, I like it. Good pick. My number two. Okay. So if my last pick was, is it noir? Uh -huh. 
This pick comes from a category I like to call, I like to call Is It Good? And that... <laughs> I love that you chose Is It Good for your number one pick. <laughs> no, this is number two. Oh, number two, you're right. Uh, and this is from, hold on, the early 2000s, probably like 2001. I'm looking it up right now. 2002, sorry. Okay. Uh, directed by a guy who would later become not great uh, by the name of DJ Caruso. Because now I want to say he makes, like, weird Breitbart movies. Okay. Uh, anyway, the movie is called The Salton Sea. Oh, I like this movie. Yeah, okay. I mean, I think it's good. Okay, good. Yeah. It's 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 got a little bit of, like, post-Tarantino bullshit. Sure. More than I'm usually comfortable with okay, at this enough. point in my life. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, as a neo-noir, there's a lot of good stuff in it. Particularly the lead performance by Val Kilmer. Yeah. Who plays this trumpet player which is very noir uh doing voiceover for the whole movie whose wife is murdered and so he kind of takes it upon himself to go undercover with a bunch of meth addicts to find out who killed his wife and he's sort of leading this double life on the one hand he's this straight-laced trumpet player and on the other hand he's now this meth addicted crankhead uh running around with peter sarsgaard and adam goldberg yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio plays an out-of-control uh, villain by the name of Pooh Bear. Bear. Pooh Bear. Pooh Bear, Whose yes. nose is gone from yeah. doing drugs, so yeah. he has this weird prosthetic nose that he wears. Um, the cops, who plays the cops? Uh, one is that scummy Doug Hutchinson guy who, oh. like, is not a great Thumbs guy. Down. Uh Anthony LaPaglia is the other one. I like him. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's another movie with good cast. Deborah Kara Unger, Arlie Ermey, B.D. Wong, Shirley Knight, Meatloaf shows up, Danny Trejo shows up. I mean, it's like yeah. one of those movies where it, it just got a bunch of people before they really popped. And it made me interested to see where DJ Caruso's movie w- uh, career would go. And it ended up mostly going to, like, directing Shia LaBeouf movies. Mm-hmm. He did do Triple X Return of Xander Cage, which I did see in a theater. As did I. Are you a fan of that movie? It's not as good as the first one. <laughs> I would agree with you, but probably for different reasons. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> My reasoning is it doesn't have uh, Asia Argento, who herself is kind of a scumbag. Sure. So. I mean, but it does have Ruby Rose and Tony for Rob. Ja. And Tony Ja. So. It's very stupid. Yeah. But, like, in a fun, entertaining way. It was a good January release. Uh, supposedly he's in pre-production on Triple X 4. Oh, boy. We'll see if that happens. Triple X 4, quadruple X. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I like it. Uh, and it's just one that I don't necessarily hear talked about a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to bring some attention to it. It's available to rent. There's no Blu-ray, but it's on DVD, and you can rent it wherever Yeah, you rent stuff. Uh, all right, your last one. All right, my last one might not necessarily be underrated in its time. Okay. Because it was nominated for a couple of Academy Awards, but you've just talked about how they don't matter, so I'm going to pretend That's that right. didn't happen. I don't think I used those words, but well, go ahead. okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm insinuating from what you said. Um, yeah, so my last pick is A Simple Plan. Oh, yeah. Directed by, I believe, one of your faves, sure. Sam Raimi. Yeah. 
I don't know if you knew this, but Sam Raimi was not originally scheduled to direct it. It went through many potential directors, including, but perhaps not limited to, John Dahl. Okay. I've seen that one. Ben Stiller, Mike Nichols, and John Borman. None of them were able to do it. I don't know if it was scheduling or other things, but anyways, it changed hands a bunch of times. Then it went to Sam Raimi. Um, it's set in Minnesota, so it's another snowy noir. Yes, good and, snowy noir. Uh, I, I love those. It also stars the dearly departed Bill Paxton, yeah. R.I.P., and also uh, Billy Bob Thornton, Bridget Fonda, and it's based on a book of the same name by Scott Smith. So I don't know if you've seen this one. I'm assuming you have. Many times, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So not that underrated, but I had to include it because I really wanted to talk about Bill Paxton. Yeah, no, it's so good. It's so good. And I don't hear a lot of people talking about it now. Maybe when it came out, it was a bigger deal. Not as big as it should have been, because it's like two years after Fargo. Right. And maybe it got overshadowed by that, but they're not very similar, other no, than they, they both take place in Minnesota. In the snow, and yeah. they're both kind of about stolen money. They're, yes. But, like, the way it plays out is so different. Very so, much so. Um, the basic premise um, is that Billy Bob Thornton and Bill Paxton are brothers, them, accompanied by at least one of their friends, are in the woods hunting for foxes. And they stumble upon a plane that has crashed, a small plane, not like a huge you know, commercial flight, but like a small plane has crashed, pilot's dead, and in this plane is $4.4 million. A lot of money, even if you're not from a small town in Minnesota. Right. And they are. Um, they debate about what to do with the money, whether they should turn it in, whether they should report it, but the fact that it's covered with snow and it's in the middle of nowhere, they're like, well, maybe what we'll do is we'll hide the money at Bill Paxton's house and wait until the snow melts and see if anybody notices that the money's gone. Um, they're not very good at keeping secrets. <laughs> not at all. Damn it. And they're also... So this isn't one of those noirs where everything goes right? No. Okay. No, it's not. This is not that kind of movie. This is the kind of movie where basically everything goes wrong. Oh, like, damn as it. As much as possible. Um, not only are they good at bad at keeping secrets, they're also really bad at uh, covering up their crimes and knowing if people are actually dead that they've shot <laughs> and um, knowing how to then cover up those deaths. Right. It's just, yeah, it, it gets crazier and crazier. Um, I really, really, really love Bill Paxton in this movie because he is, I would say, playing against type a little bit if he had a type in that he's like the college-educated guy mm -hmm. that people in town sort of think is like stuck up and thinks he's better than everyone because right. he went to college and not all of them did. And so there's kind of that distance between himself and the rest of the town. And I feel like most of the time he was playing one of those people that would have been a townsperson that's like, oh, yeah, you he guys played are, like a you know. rube so often. Yeah. And so it was interesting to see him kind of on the other side of that. And also, it really definitely had more moral ambiguity than I'm used to seeing mm -hmm. him have, other than in maybe like frailty. Um, yeah, it was really, really interesting. And I also really like Billy Bob Thornton. I mean, he plays the brother who's a real liability. Right. <laughs> let's say. And he was nominated for an Oscar, right? I believe so. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, and their relationship is really interesting yeah. to see play out. So, really good movie. Maybe not as underrated as some of these others. But still, if you haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while, I would definitely recommend giving it a watch. Uh, it's really strong. I just recently rewatched it because Blank Check had gone through all the Sam Raimi's mm. and listening to them talk about it, I was like, God damn, I got to yeah. watch A Simple Plan again. 
because um, it's really, really good. Bridget Fonda doing a great like Lady Macbeth. Yes. Makes me miss Bridget Fonda so much that she just retired. But yeah. Um, yeah, great performances, great atmosphere, great direction from Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. I would much rather he be making ten more of these than any Doctor Strange multiverse movies. Yeah. Let's get him out of the comic book world and like back into the snowy noir world. <laughs> Are you a fan of The Gift? I haven't seen The Gift. Okay. So I'll have to watch that. Then. It's not really a noir. It's more of like a southern gothic. It's I like those two. Yeah, it's decent. Again, it's one of those that's like made by the cast. Because sure. everyone who shows up, you're like, holy shit, I can't believe this person's in it. Yeah. Uh, another kind of miscast Hillary Swank. But um, nowhere near as good as a Simple Plan. Okay. Simple Plan is like almost Sam Raimi's best. It's up there, man. Right? I mean, he also made Evil Dead and Spider-Man 2. Sure. But, <laughs> so it's hard to pick a For best. For me, this might be... I don't know. Spider-Man 2 is really good. It is. This might be up there. It's it's in the conversation. Top three. For sure. For sure. So um, what is your number one, Patrick? I'm dying to know. I just want to say I'm so impressed that both of us made these top fives and neither one of us picked a John Dahl movie. That is pretty hard to believe. Well, I kind of had a secret rule in my head that I wasn't going to talk about one that I mentioned in an article, and I've mentioned a lot of his. So yeah. I had to restrain it. I had Last Seduction on the back burner. Like, it was in my to-watch yeah. pile, and I never watched it. But I'm like, everybody knows Last Seduction. So then I was going to go Kill Me Again. Which is fantastic. I, I've seen it once, and it was a while ago, so I would have had to rewatch it to put it on this list, and I just didn't have time. The one I was thinking about rewatching is Joyride, because A, I love it. Joyride's B, good. B, I'm not sure if it's a noir or not, but I was like, maybe it would give me an excuse to rewatch it, and I yeah. could justify it somehow. Right. But also, it's probably the one of his movies that most people have seen. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, my number one was going to be Way of the Gun. Oh, good movie. But then I put it out on Twitter. I was like, Way of the Gun's awesome. And then a hundred people were like, yeah, it is. And I'm like, well, I guess it's not really underrated. Uh, it's going to be part of that imprint neo-noir box set volume two, which I'm super excited about, uh, to have it on Blu-ray. But, um, I switched it out at the last minute. For a movie that earned the rare, hold on, I typed in the wrong title, uh, the rare F Cinema Score from 2012, it is Andrew Dominic's Killing Them Softly. Oh, I love this movie. It's super good. Um, Scoop McNary and Ben Mendelsohn play a couple of fuck-ups mm-hmm. who are... Um, Roped in to knock off a card game. Things don't go great. Brad Pitt is brought in to kind of clean it up. James Gandolfini is also brought in to clean it up. James Gandolfini is a mess of a human being. He can't stop, like, gambling and drinking and sleeping with prostitutes. And he's, like, the worst version of a hitman. Um, Whereas Brad Pitt is, like, so professional. The movie takes place during... The Obama McCain election, so that's sort of in the background the whole that. time. Yeah. Um, I want to say the last scene, which is this great Brad Pitt gives this great speech about America, mm-hmm. is contrasted with Obama's uh, speech yeah. um, when he's elected. I want to say acceptance speech, but that's yeah. not right. That's an Oscar term. I don't know what. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the Oscars. Yeah. Um, it's. Just one of those movies that's like, 
it's still very stylish, but kind of like Way of the Gun, it's really stripped down, mm-hmm. really bleak view of America, and particularly capitalism, um, has a lot to say, and it just... I know Andrew Dominic has Blonde coming out. I mean, he's only made two movies since 2007. He made The Assassination of Jesse James, which is like one of the best Westerns ever made. Mm-hmm. And then he made this movie and hasn't made a movie for 10 years. And I, he has Blonde coming out and boy, reviews on that are mixed. They are. <laughs> I'm excited because it's Andrew Dominic. Um, I'm trying to temper that excitement. Richard Jenkins is in this. Speaking of Richard Jenkins. He's great as sort of a go-between. Um... I think it's such a good movie that for some reason is completely ignored, I guess because of its critical reception at the time or the way that the audience received it. I think they were going in looking for Brad Pitt playing Hitman. Yeah. And it's not that. This is another one of those movies that I think got fucked by the Weinsteins. I, I want to say like an hour got cut out. Oh, wow. Um, Which is amazing because the 90 minutes that made it it's still really good. It's still really good. So I yeah. wish we could see the longer cut of this just to know what that's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I this movie's really, really good. This was one of the last Gandolfini performances, right? I think The Drop was maybe the last one. Uh, that and the Nicole Hollis Center one. Oh, yes. Enough said. Enough said. Great movie, too. Yeah. Um, Killing Them Softly, you can watch on Stars okay. or Rent wherever uh and we forgot to say a simple plan is on hbo max oh okay there you go yeah any like honorable mentions or anything you want to oh, name if we Too go many. down that way, I there's know, a lot I but know. um i was thinking about a couple that still almost made my list so one of them would have been blue collar um which i think never seen blue collar okay well you have homework <laughs> we were gonna go in new york it was playing at like the film forum or something when Erica and I were in New York and we just never were able to make it work. Yeah. Well, I hope Paul Schrader is doing better because I know he was in the hospital. Yeah, right. Um, But I think it might be his best movie. Interesting. Better than uh, The Canyons? I mean, I haven't seen The Canyons, to be fair. And I should because I'm, you know, a a Lindsay Lohan fan (laughs) based on like two movies and hers that I like. What are the two? Um, The Canyons is garbage. Well, I love Mean Girls and I also love Freaky Friday. I've never seen her Freaky Friday. It's real fun. Okay. Um, and maybe I was just... I'm a, I'm a sucker for those kinds of movies. Okay. Like body switch movies? Yeah. Okay. Uh, love them. Love all, them. all of them? Vice versa? I... Like Father, Like Son? Loved Vice Versa. Bring it. I haven't seen Like Father, Like Son. It's not good. Okay. Vice Versa is good. Yeah. It is. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples. The switch wasn't good. No, it was or not. The switch up. That's the one where they Whatever. pee in the fountain? That's the one. Yeah. Not good. So don't watch that. I did watch it. It's I'm too sorry. late. You're too late. I saw that one at the Cascade Drive-In. Oh, wow. Yeah. I forget what the other movie was. R.I.P. The Cascade Drive-In. R.I.P. Although I heard it might come back. Really? Yeah. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other honorable mentions besides Blue Collar, which is great, is um, I was thinking about Suture, which is I haven't seen that. a Dennis Haysbert movie in which he plays the identical twin of a white man. And the movie never acknowledges their difference in race. It's very interesting. Okay. They're mistaken for each other. Like, it's very interesting. Um, So, worth checking out. Yeah. Um, And I also thought about throwing in Dead Presidents. That's a good one. 
by the Hughes Brothers because yeah. another one that I think the Love 90s had so many really good like crime thriller type yes. of movies. Yeah. Not all of them were like erotic thrillers. Some of them were like like set it off and right. dead presidents where right. it's you know kind of tackling those kinds of crime themes but in neighborhoods or in communities or whatever that hadn't been explored in the the classic period of film noir right. so it was definitely interesting but yeah that was definitely another one that i was thinking about um yeah so i'm excited to watch even more of these and talk about even more of these in november me too we should do this again because this is a fun topic like noir is so big that it scares me if we were to go like classic sure. noir i think i joked to you in a text that like <laughs> I, I you've forgotten more than i'll ever learn um but neo-noir i feel is more manageable mm-hmm. and a little bit more I, I don't know but uh i really liked doing research for this and i'd be totally down to do it again yeah the next thing i want to tackle maybe is like international noir because i did kind of throw one of those paradox, the paradox yeah. but there's a ton of really good non-English language noir out there. So okay. if you want to think about that. Yeah. Future, potentially. Okay, cool. Or Patreon. We'll see. Oh, right. Patreon, everybody. Patreon.com slash F this movie. I yes. always do it backwards. <laughs> I just want to say F this movie.com slash Patreon. Yeah. Patreon.com slash F this movie. Uh, Twitter at F this movie. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Email us at F this movie podcast at gmail.com. We're like two weeks, one week away from Scary Movie Month. Very Pretty exciting. exciting. Yeah. Do you know what you're going to watch yet? No. No, me either. I kind of like to wing it. <laughs> me too. If I plan it, I won't. Correct. Same I here. won't do it and then I'll feel like a failure. Correct. And I have enough of that in my life. I don't <laughs> I don't need to invite more of that into my life. Uh, thank you for doing this, Rosalie. It was super fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.